From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod, a podcast about Black culture from Blackness's biggest fans. I'm Eric Eddings. When I was a kid, I spent most afternoons at my best friend John's house. It was a logical choice. He had a massive TV. He always had the latest video game consoles and the latest video games. So after school, we'd race back to his house. We'd hop on the couch and fire up whatever sports game he had on deck, usually like NBA Live or EA Sports NCAA Basketball. Get out of the way, baby. That was absolutely sensational. Both teams looking to get things going here. And if I'm being honest, due to some very bad hand-eye coordination, I actually lost most days to John. But, you know, it's the journey, not the destination. That's how I feel about it. It was our thing. And, like, the only thing that broke up our routine was leaving for college. So, like, years later, maybe 2010, I was shocked when I got this call from John. He's like, yo, can you believe it? They canceled the NCAA basketball games. And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, some guy has sued the NCAA and EA Sports about, like, royalties or money from the game. And they said, to hell with it. They just canceled the games. And first it was NCAA basketball, but not long after that, NCAA football. Like, literally, the clock had run out on college sports video games. And, like, look, the magnitude of this loss cannot be understated. Like EA says, the football version alone sold over 2 million copies a year and made them $80 million. Like there were a lot of people literally invested in these games. I kept wondering about that lawsuit though. Like who in the world would dare sue the NCAA? They rule college sports with what seems like an iron fist. So who was this person who clearly possessed every last bit of moxie on the planet, this person who decided to face off with one of the most powerful organizations in sports. My name is uh, Ed O'Bannon. Played ball at UCLA from 91 to 95. Was on the team that won the national championship there in 95. I also played with the Nets and the Mavericks for two years total. Played overseas. And then also I was a lead plaintiff in the lawsuit O'Bannon versus the NC2A. That's a good thing to like leave for the end. Like, <laughs> so I that. And you know, I also, I also was the lead plaintiff in suit. So yeah. <laughs> you fought the bully. There you go. Yes, indeed. <laughs> the NCAA's argument basically goes like this. Players are students first, athletes second. They say it's okay to give players a scholarship and maybe a little living stipend. But if players actually earn money for playing the game or from endorsements, that would destroy the integrity and value of college sports. Seriously, that's what they say. But now, more players, past and present, are following Ed O'Bannon's lead and calling bullshit. The NCAA makes more than $1 billion, that is B billion dollars a year, from things like TV rights, merch, ticket sales, and endorsements. And they make those billions off of the labor of players. And this, this is the part a lot of folks don't talk about. A massive chunk of these players are Black. Ed's lawsuit was an attempt to change the NCAA rules. But before he was a plaintiff, his relationship with the NCAA began when he was a basketball player at UCLA. UCLA was uh, it was kind of in my blood. 
First of all, my dad went to UCLA. Yeah. I grew up knowing the A-clap. You know, you walk the halls at UCLA and, and you feel that certain aura and the tradition that Coach Wooden built. It was a dream come true. I remember putting that jersey on for the first time. I remember it vividly. Mm-hmm. Got the big mirror in the in the locker room yeah. and, and everyone's putting it on and and we were standing there and looking at it and turning around and seeing our names on our backs and the letters on the front. And there was a great sense of Wow, I'm here. My home is Pauley Pavilion, yeah. uh, where Lou Alcindor played and Bill Walton played and Marcus Johnson played. I get chills right now just thinking about it. So it's not surprising that you were awarded a scholarship to play at UCLA, which, like in 91, was one of the best basketball programs in the country. If you read off the checklist, like, you led your high school to a state championship. You were a McDonald's All-American. You were even voted... National High School Player of the Year by Basketball Times. Those are some good accomplishments. <laughs> and you get to UCLA. What was your financial situation like in college? Like, I know there's a full scholarship, but like what, you know, how much did that cover? It covered the the books. It covered living. That was pretty much it. My third year, I moved off campus. I lived in an apartment. And, you know, you got a, uh, I guess, a stipend to pay for expenses, mainly rent mm-hmm. and food. My stipend went directly into my rent, and I relied a lot on my parents. I didn't come from a poor home, mm-hmm. but as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old man, it's hard to call home and ask dad for money, Yeah, you know? So sometimes you'd, you know, you'd skip a meal. I remember one time I had change in my ashtray mm. in my car. I had enough to buy a dozen donuts. And so for me, I would go and pay for some donuts and it would last me through the night and then in the morning. I just saw it as this is part of the rules. This is part of being a college athlete. You yeah. know, you don't get paid. You you find other means to, to get by. Were the other players kind of going through that same similar emotions? Like, did you feel like it was just you? I knew it wasn't just me. We'd had conversations. On Sunday evening, we would have study hall to kind of, you know, get ready for the week academically. We talked about girls. We talked about how hard these classes were. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we talked about the lack of money we had. Mm -hmm. How many times uh, have we sat at the study hall or at at the dinner table and pack up food, you know, and take home because you just didn't have anything in your refrigerator? Yet... Two days ago, we played in front of 25,000 people. Wow, yeah. That happened countless times. And look, there were opportunities to eat. We had a training table Mm -hmm. after practice. You know, the cafeteria would stay open, and we would eat for free. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, you would stay after practice and work on your jump shot, and you'd miss the the cafeteria or miss training table. You know, it it, it wasn't—look, it's not a perfect world. And it wasn't a perfect system. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'd be able to eat and sometimes you weren't. Having to figure out how to balance whether or not you go 
go up to the cafeteria or, you know, keep working on your shot. It makes me think of how the NCAA always kind of leans on this, you know, this term like student athlete, you know, you're, you're balancing both of these things. And it makes me wonder, like, how much of your time in particular, how much of that was spent on basketball versus like academics? Oh, for me, it was uh, 90-10. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, I spent most of my time playing basketball or working on my craft, whether it would be in the weight room or on a track, running, getting in shape, whatever it took for me to get to the next level, whatever it took for me to get to the NBA. I just figured I was just going to, you know, kind of use college as a stepping stone. That was uh, one of the reasons why you did it. Yeah. Actually playing for free. Yeah, I'll play for free. I mean, if, if I can see my face on a billboard, that's good enough for me. There's all these things like you kind of know you you can't do, or so you kind of run afoul of the of the NCAA. Do you do you remember any of those rules about the things that you could not do? Well, yeah, you can't um, profit off the sales of your jersey. Yet when you walk into an arena, a fifteen thousand, twenty thousand seat arena, you'll see you know twenty jerseys of yours that are being worn. And I imagine those weren't cheap. <laughs> I've seen yeah, the prices yeah. today. Look, they sell them for so much money. The student store gets money, and whoever else that produced it mm-hmm. gets paid. And the athletes themselves don't get any of the of the profits. That to me was the biggest the biggest thing. My jersey is for sale, but I get nothing from it. The Bruins did have what it took to win the game, and his name was Ed O'Bannon. He's so and this is the time for the player of the year to step up. Terrific job by Ed O'Bannon. On his way to being named the Final Four's most outstanding player, O'Bannon capped off his All-America career with 30 points and 17 rebounds. You lay UCLA to a national championship. You guys won the series. You were the MVP of that series. Like, what was that career trajectory like after that? Like, I would have been pumped. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. After we had won the national championship and I had played as well as I did, I was told that I would be a lottery pick. I remember Nike called and offered me uh, a a contract. So I signed with Nike. That quick? Yeah, I mean, pretty pretty fast. It happened before my first game in the NBA, for sure. There's a certain type of popularity in Los Angeles. And so, you know, when we won, it was... (laughs) It was pretty cool. Yeah. It was pretty cool. (laughs) Understatement of the year. (laughs) So you get drafted into the NBA. You start off your professional career playing for the New Jersey Nets. And I'm curious, like, for you, what was the most surprising difference, like, going from playing college ball to playing in the NBA? How much a business it is. I, I could never get used to it. The ironic thing is I worked all my life to get to this point, Mm -hmm. understood that it was a business, understood that it was pros, understood that I would be getting paid to play. And once it happened, I choked. Everybody I play with, they have families now. This isn't for fun anymore. Yeah, There are business decisions being made. And, oh, by the way, you play basketball. When did you kind of realize that, like, your time there was coming to an end? After my second year, Mm -hmm. once I finished with the Dallas Mavericks, I got traded to Orlando simply because the numbers matched. I knew no one wanted me. Mm -hmm. 
I'll never forget a time in a preseason game with the Magic. We had so many guys on the, on the, on the team. We didn't even have enough seats on the bench. So I was sitting on the floor. Chuck Daly was our coach. God rest his soul. Yeah. There's like a minute and a half left in the game. Mm-hmm. He called my name to go in. And I ignored him. And then he called me again. I ignored him again. And the guys were like, hey, Ed, man, he's calling you. And I looked up and he was like, would well, you don't want to go in a game? And I was like, no, nah, I'm cool. And I just sat there. I was national player of the year yeah. three years prior to this. And here I am sitting on the floor at the end of the bench being called to go into the game at the end of a preseason game. I, I just said, this league isn't for me. They don't want me. And I, I'll find basketball somewhere else. Wow. I had to go overseas just so I could play basketball. I didn't go for money. I went over there strictly to get some good reps in, just to feel like I, I could actually play this game. And so I played uh, half a season in Greece, the other wow. half in Argentina, one in Italy, one in Spain. Then I came home and played in the ABA for a year. Mm-hmm. And then I played in Poland for three years. And so when did you when did you stop playing basketball for me? Like, when did you retire? I retired in 04, when I was 31. Ed retired, but he wasn't done with basketball. Years later, something would happen that would bring basketball and the NCAA back into his life. Mike was like, you know, what's crazy about this is we paid X amount of dollars for this video game and you didn't get one penny. That's coming up after the break. The year's 2008. Ed hasn't played basketball professionally in four years. And he's now seeing success in his new career, selling cars. Life is good. And then one day after a game of golf, he stops by his friend Mike's house. His kid and I were out in the front yard throwing the football. Mm-hmm. Mike says, hey, my kid last night was playing a video game with you in it. You want to check it out? I was like, yeah, man, heck yeah, you kidding me? <laughs> you know, so we go in the house and the kid pulls up the video game and he plugs it in and picks the team, UCLA 95 team, and there I am. Between the Connecticut Huskies and the UCLA Bruins. This is where both teams wanted to be, Dick. The physical, just looking at it, it was, it was ball-headed, brown skin, broad shoulders, left-handed, number 31, one of my favorite moves, or at least favorite shots, was a jump hook. The jump hook was there. My senior year, I shot it pretty well from the three-point line. That was good. The stats said 6'9", 215 pounds, left-handed, all of that stuff. Um, everything about me, mm-hmm. athletically, it was there. Did you try to? Uh, did you try to play yourself at all? You know what? I didn't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I, <laughs> I didn't touch the sticks. Yeah. I let uh, Lil Man play it and just, you know, set up and watched it as if we were watching a real game. I was thrilled. I thought it was great, you know, like who wouldn't want to be in a video game? Mm-hmm. But then Mike was like, you know, what's crazy about this is 
we paid X amount of dollars for this video game and you didn't get one penny. And he laughed and I laughed. We all kind of laughed, but I just, I sat back and I just thought, wow, he bought this video game a few weeks prior to this. They're obviously still using my likeness for their profit. Yeah. And not only are they doing this, but they didn't even ask me. You know, I didn't even get a phone call saying, hey, Ed, we're going to use your likeness on this video game, whether you like it or not. Hey, give me a heads up. You didn't even have to ask me. Just give me a heads up. Yeah. You know, you, you didn't even know. I didn't even know. I had no clue. I was just like, wow. So they're still using you, everything that they have about who you were at this school 15 plus years ago. They're still using that to like represent you and they didn't even ask you. Right. What is going on in your head after this moment? I I I I thought how dare they? The balls that you got to have to take someone's look, if I if I was an actor, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be using my likeness without calling me, without without us coming to some type of written agreement. Yeah. In any other walk of life, we would be signing contracts before you would use my likeness. Yeah. But because I am a college athlete, you feel like you have the right to my image. It just rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. How dare you feel like you can use my image? And 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 and, <laughs> and this is over a decade later. This yeah. is over a decade later, and you're still you're still using it. Like I like I don't like I don't matter. There's something inhumane about that. So you, you you see yourself in this game. Eventually, you find yourself as the the lead plaintiff on a lawsuit that was being organized by by legendary sports marketer Sonny Vaccaro, and that basically says that the NCAA, the creators of these games, they should compensate players for using their likeness. They like they should have compensated you, Sonny Vaccaro who is a mentor of mine, mm-hmm. called me with the idea of suing the NC2A. And this phone call was like three weeks after I actually saw my image on a video game. So oh, it was wow. real. It was recent. It was fresh. Yeah, absolutely. And he thought that I would be the perfect plaintiff for it because of what I went through, but, but also because of my demeanor. Mm-hmm. He knew that there would be a lot of abuse, a lot of pushback, and he knew that I would be able to take it. My wife and I discussed it, and then I called him back and, and, and agreed to do it. And he told me that there's going to be people thinking that you're doing this for money. There won't be any money. Mm. We aren't doing this for money. I said, perfect. I, I'm not in this for, for money. I want to start conversation. Yeah. It was about bringing awareness to what I thought was a social injustice, most of these athletes that we're talking about that we're trying to get paid are black athletes. And the reason why they aren't getting paid and the reason why the NC2A is moving so slow and even recognizing that they should get paid is because they are black athletes. And their argument is just like, look, if people wanted to watch paid athletes, they watch the NBA. It seems like their thought is that the appeal is that these kids are amateur and if you start paying them, they're going to lose focus on their education. Was that basically like kind of what th- the gist was? You'd hear a lot of things. They're on scholarship. Why would we pay them if they're on scholarship? They're already getting their school, everything paid for. Why should we pay them? 
I always thought that that was fundamentally wrong. I always thought that that was an absolute joke. Mm-hmm. I don't care if I am on scholarship. If you are using my likeness, I should be paid for it. Yeah. Plain and simple. They always seem to gloss over that. Yeah. Yes, I'm thankful for my scholarship. I worked my ass off to get this scholarship. You didn't give me a damn thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I worked for it. And now that I'm here, you are using my likeness. And you are getting paid for it. That is wrong. Yeah. That is against the law. <laughs> that is against the law. Yeah. People get sued for that. I remember a, a grocery store using Michael Jordan's likeness. And I remember that too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they I paid mean, for that. That is against the, <laughs> absolutely. That is against the law. And they are doing it. And they get away with it because they say that uh, these kids are amateurs and they are on scholarship. That yeah. is... That is fundamentally wrong. Something that I've always wondered in coverage of this issue is why people rarely talk about race. 45% of all men's basketball players, 39% of all football players, 31% of all women's basketball players, they're all black. And like only 6% of college students in like the top 100 schools are black. Like to be frank, these rich white schools are making billions of dollars off of the bodies of largely young black men and women. That's the writing on the wall. It's the elephant in the room. They don't have the resources to change the rules. You know, they're coming from backgrounds where they need at least a free education. Mm -hmm. There's a number of um, athletes, white athletes, uh, don't necessarily need a free education. They're on scholarship, but they don't need the free education. But most black athletes do need the free education. So they're going to do what they're told. Yeah. To keep that free education. And if they open their mouths and say something, that free education is going to be taken away or there will be some type of penalty. It's it's a reason to keep your thumb on them and uh, make sure they do what you want them to do. This suit, it was a really big deal, you know? <laughs> Basketball legends like Bill Russell, Oscar Robinson, they've joined in support. It was a roller coaster. There was a lot of support, but there was also a lot of pushback. People just saying nasty things. Yeah. That we're doing this for money, that I'm greedy, that I'm I'm an old, retired basketball player that's mad that my career didn't pan out. And so I'm I'm in this to collect millions of dollars. Yeah. It was pretty tough. My wife would see it sometimes. My parents saw it, my brother, my kids. I felt bad for them. For me, that's where it was hard, knowing that they saw a lot of the abuse that I would take. Yeah. You sued the NCAA. Like, look, I am not a professional athlete. That was never a track that was going to work out for me. But Mm. I even knew that that was kind of something that you don't do, especially if you're connected to sports in any sort of way. Like, Oh, yeah. I I was going to play in an all-star game during all-star weekend. Celebrity game, I guess, is what it was. Mm -hmm. And then the television station, they cut me out. Uh, I had an agent who I didn't know. He just popped up on my phone. He said that a television station wants you to come try out to analyze games and to possibly do some color commentating. Mm -hmm. They did some little bit more research on me, saw that I was suing the NC2A, and he called me and said, you know what? Sorry, homie. You know, you're suing NC2A. We we can't touch you. Yeah. Thanks, but no thanks. I went back to school 
finished up my degree with uh, the thoughts of possibly getting a a coaching position in college. Mm -hmm. I remember meeting with uh, an assistant coach, a couple of them actually, and they were like, look, man, um, they use the excuse of I need more experience, Mm -hmm. but then they also kind of hinted, look, you're hot right now. We can't, you know, you're suing NC2A. My AD won't, he won't touch you. He won't hire you. I can't even imagine that, you know, kind of being boxed out from from your career. Like, what what does it feel like to have that much pressure on you? You don't want to be a martyr. Yeah, you know, it it hurt initially, but I was doing so well selling cars. (laughs) I mean, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it didn't, it didn't, you know, you lose a sleep, you know, a night's sleep, but... Ultimately, I will go to work the next day. Yeah. Life goes on. Look, I got a job. Yeah. I am providing, and we live a pretty comfortable life. So for me, it wasn't the end of the world. Was there ever a time in this where you had doubts about what you were doing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Why am I here? What am I doing? Why did I put not only myself through this, but my kids and my family? No one appreciates this anyway. Even the, the the kids that we're doing this for, they don't even know I exist. Mm. I used to think that periodically, not, not all the time, but every now and then you'd have a bad day. I remember when I was in the car business, I'm not anymore, but when I was, I was just having a bad day, just feeling sorry for myself. And Bill Russell called and, you know, I was looking for a car, uh, a little itty bitty car. <laughs> wow. it was just cra- Yeah, it was just crazy. Yeah. And so, of course, like you mentioned, he was part of the lawsuit, and he asked me how I was doing and how I was feeling, and I just started just, like, tearing up. And, you know, I told him I was having just having a bad day, and why am I doing this? No one understands, and blah, 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 whatever. And he says, look, man, dry your tears. He was like, look, NC2A is a bully, mm-hmm. you know? They bully everybody. Yeah, You are the person who's standing up to them, and you're punching them in their mouth. So understand that. Wow. Like a pep talk for Bill Russell. Like, he's a legend. That (laughs) that sounds amazing. That was wild. And I just, the fact that he had time to share Mm. and talk to me made my day, made my month. After that, I was just like, you know what? There is a, a, a bigger cause for this whole thing. So, you know, wipe your face. Stop crying. You'll be fine. Life goes on. So this lawsuit. And like, and the struggle that came along with it, it went on for years. Mm. And then eventually, in 2014, you testified in front of a federal court. One of our biggest goals was to get to court, whether we win or lose. I was the first person on the uh, on the stand the first day that we were in court. I was super nervous. I wanted to sit across the aisle from them and and let them know that they were doing wrong mm-hmm. and they should treat these athletic students a lot better than they do. Yeah. To actually sit across the aisle from the big bad bully and let the law know that they are wrong. Hmm. That's what we did. And it felt great. Yeah. One of my proudest moments of my life, actually. Ed had faced off with the big bad bully. But then something unexpected happened. Got a phone call from a friend of mine, and he was like, dude, let's stop making the video games. What's up with that? He's like, what'd you do? And I was like, <laughs> I, 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 mean, I didn't do nothing. What's wrong with you? 
what actually happened to those video games? That's after the break. Welcome back. After years of stalling by the NCAA, public attacks, and uncertainty about what happens next, Ed had finally confronted the NCAA in a court of law. And strangely, in 2014, he won against the NCAA. It took a few years, but when the dust settled on the appeals, Ed and the other players got a little money from EA Sports. The payouts weren't big. On average, the players saw about $1,600 apiece. But the judges were clear. The NCAA rules against paying players could be in violation of antitrust laws. And the court was leaving room for the issue to be explored in a future lawsuit. This meant a future lawsuit could open the door for players to be paid for all kinds of things. Signed jerseys and memorabilia, endorsement deals, ticket sales and TV rights, championship bonuses— The list just goes on and on. Ed had won. But then there was also this very big, unexpected side effect. The National Collegiate Athletic Association today said it will no longer allow electronic arts to use its name or logo in EA video games. The NCAA is already under pressure to cut... So it seems like the NCAA pressured EA Sports to just cancel the video games altogether instead of just compensating players for future games. Ed first heard the news when he was at work at the car dealership. I was walking through the showroom, got a phone call from a friend of mine, and he was like, dude, let's stop making the video games. What's up with that? He's like, what'd you do? And I was like, <laughs> wow. I, mean, I didn't do nothing. What's wrong with you? You know, yeah. I'm over here working. What you talking about? Yeah. You know, electronic arts. I'm told that uh, they tried to, they wanted to pay the athletes for using their likeness because they pay all the other professionals. You right. Know? <laughs> yeah. They're used to that. They're used to it. That's the way they work. And so when they decide to make the, the college games, they figured they would do the same. But the NC2A stopped it. Wow. I thought it was uh, weak. Yeah. <laughs> as big as they are, they can make it and pay the players anyway to hell with the NC2A. You mentioned that your friend said to you, what did you do? It's weird that in the aftermath of all this, the blame of these games being canceled seems to be placed squarely at your feet. Yes. That's kind of insane. Like, I was looking up videos of you, and, like, there's still people posting comments saying, bring back the video games. Right. As if I can do it. That's the funny thing about this. I didn't take them away, and I can't bring them back. But if you need somebody to point that ire at, that hostility at, then I'll be that person. I, like like Redman said, I'll be that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I don't lose sleep over it. Yeah. I got nine hours last night. It doesn't affect me. Mm-hmm. My wife and I are going to dinner tonight. You know, <laughs> I, I'm cool. You know, I got into this knowing that it was gonna happen. This isn't a surprise, I guess. You know, at the time that they approached you on this, about the suit, you seemed ready. You were ready to make this move. You knew that this conversation had to happen. I guess, like, I'm, uh, I wonder if you wish that you had attempted to start that conversation while you were in school. You know, like, you, you talked about the power you had after winning the championship. Like, do you, do you maybe wish you had started that conversation then? 
That's a that's a great question, uh, and that's one that I've often fought with myself on. If we were running through the tournament like we were in my senior year, would I have the courage to then go to my teammates and say, all right, fellas, now that we're here, we fought all our lives to get here, now we're not going to play because they won't pay us. I don't know that I could pull that off. Mm. It takes a special person to even talk about that. I wasn't thinking like that back then, but I'd like to think if I had it to do over again, that I would bring it up just to test the water, just to stick my toe in the, in the water, just to see. How does it make you feel then that that players are starting to have those conversations now? Like, people are picking up this charge. I love it. I love it. Because they're, they're fighting for their, and they're talking about their rights. They're not just talking about it at the study table like we were. <laughs> they're talking about it on social media. They're talking about it with Congress. They're talking about it with other people, with politicians. That's a beautiful thing. If you have an opportunity to speak up uh, and speak out, um, why not do it? I I remember being in college. I I was inspired. I will never forget walking to class, and there was a group of people camped out outside of this building Mm -hmm. in protest. Every day when I was going to class, I would see that their tents out on the grass, every now and then there'd be news cameras or whatever around and that sort of thing. Wow. They were on a hunger strike. In Los Angeles today, those UCLA students demanding a Chicano studies department ended their hunger strike. The students had been on a water-only diet for 14 days. I just remember saying to myself, whatever they're, prote- they're willing to die for. I mean, you know, this isn't... You know, this isn't some small-time thing. They are on a hunger strike. They are willing to die for it. And I just I, I just was inspired. And I, I, always, I always said to myself, I hope one day I will feel as strongly about something as they do. It's ironic. They want us athletes to be silent, but ultimately you learn when you're on campus. We're walking on campus and, and we see protests and we see people fighting for their rights, what are we supposed to do? As when wasn't game over for the NCAA, but the movement to compensate college athletes is picking up steam. A new law making its way through state legislature in California would allow student athletes to enter into endorsement deals. The NCAA has said that if the law passes, all 23 Division I schools in California would be in violation of NCAA rules and therefore could be banned from championship play. I don't see any way that this doesn't end up back in court. Look, I've been a basketball fan forever. It's the first sport I learned how to play. And I love those games as much as anyone else. But a system like that that treats its players this way, it feels unfair and archaic, like, Frankly, it's a textbook example of institutional racism. There's this institution, in this case, the NCAA, that has been able to profit off of the nearly free labor of Black players for decades. The players who are necessary for the institution to be able to make as much money as it does don't actually get to participate in the profits. And not only do they not get paid, they also don't have much recourse for actually being able to challenge the system that exploits them. 
Ed's basketball career and the rest of his life was shaped so much by his choice to buy into the NCAA system. And talking to Ed just like humanize the stakes of not paying these players in a way that you just don't think about when you're playing a video game. The idea that these players don't deserve more just feels hollow. The conversation that Ed O'Bannon was hoping for is now happening, and people are optimistic about the outcome. It's a David and Goliath story. But hey, we all know how that one turned out. If the Ed O'Bannon story was new to you and you want another surprising story with big implications, we recommend checking out our episode called Josephine and the Amazing Technicolor Rainbow Tribe. It's about Josephine Baker's attempt to build a racial utopia with her own family. You can listen to that episode on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nod is produced by me, Eric Eddings, with Brittany Luce and Kay Parkinson Morgan. Our senior producer is Sara Abdurrahman. This episode was edited by Sarah Saracen. It was fact-checked by Max Gibson. The show is mixed by Cedric Wilson. Our theme music is by Khalid B. For additional music credits, check the show notes. <laughs>